Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to CyberStarter Season 1, Episode 3, The Time Episode. If you are looking for a highly engaging and relevant discussion focused on cybersecurity entrepreneurship, covering topics from how to start a business to challenges entrepreneurs encounter to strategies for effective problem solving, buckle up, my friend, because you are in for a treat because that's what we're doing every single Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time on the CyberStarter Show. And today is no exception. We're going to be joined by an amazing individual. Some of you may recall him from Simply Cyber Live, Ian Garrett from Phalanx but more about him in a minute. I want to say shout out to everybody in chat. I see Luke Canfield, Casually Joseph, Brian Peak, a lot of squad members in here, James Driscoll, Malik. It's good to see everybody. Brian, this episode, oh, by the way, I'm sorry. I'd like to introduce my co-host, uh, Ryan Larovic, CEO of Nuvic and author of, what's the book you authored, uh, Ryan? Really catchy title, Understand, Manage, and Measure Cyber Risk. Yeah, you know what? It's it's spot on the nose. My morning show is called Daily Cyber Threat Brief, and guess what it is? Daily Cyber Threat and Brief. Yeah, so my man Ryan over here is going to be joining me and helping me piece through today. Today is the time episode, and believe me, people, when you hear the phrase "time is money" or "time is the most valuable asset we have," it may seem like just you know passing words or whatever trite thing to say, but in reality, in the entrepreneurship world, time is money because you only have so much of it. Ryan, what are your experiences with time when it comes relative to you and your business? There just is never enough, right? There just isn't, right? And you're, you're forced with your, your, your life things that are going on, the business items that you're trying to get to. You clearly don't have a lot of other resources other than time. Like sometimes you don't have a lot of people. So it all kind of falls on your shoulders starting a business of like, all right, how, where does your time really actually go when you're starting a business, especially as a practitioner, which a lot of people are, right? We want to practice our trade, but there's a lot of unintuitive items that the business needs that you don't necessarily think through. So that's typically where things go. So trying to be practical here, um, I'm looking forward to today's conversation with Ian because we get a sense for like, all right, really, where does, where does your time actually go uh, for those that are trying to understand like, uh, what's the balance in time when we get started starting a business? Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, Ian has a very successful business right now. So learning from him about how he spends his time and the the kind of strategies and methodology he uses to understand how to apply that time is going to be massive value for all of you in chat. And remember, if you have any questions, do drop them in chat. I will flag them and we will get to them. Uh, throughout the show with our friend Ian. When I think of time, Ryan, I mean, I'm living in this problem right now of I'm trying to get my Cyber 101 course. It's like the next big project that I have uh, to get out there. And there's all sorts of small things that you really never accounted for. You're like, oh, I'll just like with any project or with any product or with anything, you're like, oh, it's simple. You do one, two, three. It's like a Pinterest blog post where you're like, oh, I can go from a wood pallet to like a rocking chair in three steps. But in reality, there's like, you know, steps like 3A, 3B, 3C, 3D, there's, you know, the, the pallet breaks, you got to go get another pallet. Like there's a million different things that get involved and you get a splinter in your leg and you're like, ah, I didn't mention I should have planned this thing. So how you spend the time and, and more importantly, I would argue if you think of like, you only have six bullets in your gun, right? You got a revolver and you're going to use that gun to make business and make money and, and solve things. It, it's it's easy to get distracted by the shiny thing and, and waste time running after that other thing. But if you think about it, it's like, I've only got six shots, so I got to make them count if I'm going to eat dinner tonight or if I'm going to eat dinner this week and provide for my family. And I think some of those logics really uh, apply in how I approach um, spending my time but or or choosing how to spend my mm -hmm. time on business. Yeah, but, it's, it's not easy, but the simple is ruthless prioritization, right? Yeah. Just getting the prioritization, but you need to have the family and the, and the team. You know, Ben mentioned this last week, right? All the pieces that are in your life to line that up because one thing shows up and like, you know, your pallet breaks and you don't have any backup. Guess who owns it? You do. Yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. fix it. So having, having help and support and just being just, you know, identifying what the priority really is and sticking to it is it's really hard to do, but simple and simple in theory, but hard to do in practice, you know? Yeah. I think ruthless prioritization might be my new like internal <laughs> slogan for the business here. Yeah. I heard that well, from Lee Salt, by the way. So I don't take that as my own. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, uh, quoted and royalties paid. I love it. So let's bring our guest in here. Today's guest is Ian Garrett. He is the CEO and co-founder of the cybersecurity startup Phalanx. 
and he was a U.S. Army cyber officer as well as a data scientist in the defense sector. He combines his operational knowledge with his PhD research to bring unique insights to the intersection of AI and cybersecurity. And if that sounds like I just described multiple people, rest assured, it is just one individual. He is just maxing it out. So <laughs> when we're talking about how he does his time management for his family, for his PhD, for his work, for his business, it is going to be really, really eye-opening. Let's go get our friend Ian and get into the time episode. Hey, what's up, Ian? How are you, man? How's it going? Great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. You like that little utz, utz, utz oh, yeah. kind of intro 100%. music? It's actually how I spend most of my days in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, thanks for turning off the disco ball before you came on stage. I appreciate that. So, so Ian, great to have you. Thank you for being here. You heard the discussion of Ryan and I at the beginning. When when you just think of time, you know, what what does that mean to you? And how what is your kind of approach to managing it? Yeah, I mean, as we know, it's one of the only resources we can manufacture more of. Um, so, you know, really got to think about what, as we, you know, as you said, priorities is everything. Understand what what do you actually care about, and how do you make the time work for you versus uh, letting time just have its way with you. Yeah, it really, it really gets away. So, I mean, as the CEO of Phalanx, I mean, obviously that takes a great deal of your time. Could you tell us just a little bit about what Phalanx is and how you kind of spend your time there? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're a cybersecurity startup specifically focused in protecting data security. And uh, and we are, uh, we have, you know, venture investors, we've got angel investors. So that, that also has a, a number of things associated with uh, requirements. <laughs> um, but ultimately, you know, it really does come down to understanding how to say no, how to say no and how to and understand who do you need to talk to when. And it's not about, oh, I'm too important for this or I'm, you know, I'm too fancy for that. It's ultimately, if you said yes to everything, I, like I'm already on so many meetings every single day. If I said yes to everything, there's literally not enough hours in the day to sit on all those meetings. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said yes to this meeting because uh, we are all benefiting from from your knowledge and from your experience. Uh, just to kind of follow up on that. And then Ryan, I'd love your thoughts on this afterwards. And again, chat, if you have questions, drop them in there. I will be flagging them. If I don't ask them right away, we will ask them before the show ends. How do you say no, Ian? Like what's your, what's your calculus here? Yeah. So uh, it, I mean, it starts with what's the end state goal, right? So if you, if you have like a, a North star that you're um, using for, and, and again, I use this for actually a lot of different, I think about all the things I'm doing as uh, different swim lanes, I guess. <laughs> um, and each of those has an end state goal associated with it. And then so, you know, for failings, obviously when we're trying to go to business, uh, we're again with the investors, we need some sort of exit activity. So figuring out what's going to get us there. And, you know, as, as a CEO, part of my roles is laying out strategic goals for the entire organization. Um, so for if I don't know it, <laughs> we're in big trouble, right? So for us, it's it's like, hey, this is our goal. And when I think about an opportunity, how does that play into one of those goals? Um, if it's, you know, for mo majority of the day, it's how does that go towards failing goals? But as you mentioned, you know, with family or any other uh, side projects that are going on, you know, when you just bring in opportunities, think about how does that how does that lead you to actually where you're trying to go versus, you know, just a thing that you could be doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the strategy sort of starts as the, here's what to do, right? Uh, right? In the categories. So how do you balance the things that show up that don't have anything to do with that strategy, um, but maybe is something to do? Do you just say no to it? Do you push it off to somewhere else? Like that it seems like that might be a distraction. Yeah, it, 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 uh, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> yeah, so, but really it, it goes into, that's why I think having some sort of long-term goals and strategy is important is as I, as I mean today, um, you can use that as, as your evaluation mechanism. So let's say an opportunity comes in that isn't immediately uh, beneficial to what's going on at Phalanx and isn't immediately beneficial to some of the others, you know, let's say side projects, but it is to, you know, this one thing that I was planning on doing, you know, further down the road. Um, 
and it's the kind of opportunity, you know, once in a while, you know, once in a lifetime kind of opportunity, then you want to make some more decisions based off of that. Like, can I take on this from a time perspective? How's that going neg to negatively impact my other you know, lines of effort that I'm doing? Um, but, you know, if it goes, if it's really just, you don't see how it fits into the grand scheme of anything. And then, then that you got to think about, is this like a hobby type thing? Am I interested in it? <laughs> and if it's not playing towards your goals, not interesting to you, uh, not helping you or your family, whatever, then why do it? <laughs> like if it's, if, and if the answer to that sometimes is because people are, I'm uncomfortable saying no, uh, get comfortable saying no, then like, that's not a good reason to say yes. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of things as being an entrepreneur that you need to get comfortable saying, like we talked to Ben Johnson last week, catch last week's episode if you want to see this, but he, you know, one of the lessons he had was, uh, hire slow, fire fast. And it wasn't necessarily that you want to fire people. Like you're some, you know, big, big you know, guy on the mountain. It's just, you know, like it's, it's a conversation you have to have. And same thing you're saying about having to say, no, occasionally it's just there's uncomfortable things but i mean that's that's how we grow right is by leaning into uncomfortable and, and getting experience with it right because i mean I, I always like to when when mentioning actually getting uncomfortable uh you know it's like if you were to stay in the land of comfort you pretty much get as far as you are because what got what you did got you where you are if you want to go anywhere else you have to step into something uncomfortable and the more you get comfortable with that process you know the faster and the more you can grow so I got a question for you, um, and this is kind of big picture stuff, Ian, but you know, you're talking about all the stuff you're doing with Phalanx, the tough conversations, the decision points. What made you want to start a business in the first place? That's a good question that a lot of people, you know, maybe don't know how to ask themselves, you know? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. And I think it's one of the most important things to consider before you start a business. Um, for me personally, it's, it's my passion for building. Um, I just love, and this is across multiple disciplines and, and just areas. I just love making stuff. Um, and I love, uh, I love vision building for one and building something towards a vision. Um, but two, it's just, I just, the, the passion of just organizing and, and creating something out of nothing. That's, that's always something I've wanted to do. And I always wanted to do that in a business sense. Um, interestingly, I didn't always want to do that with venture investors and so we could talk about it in a sec, but there was a couple different versions of how I wanted to eventually start a business uh, that could have, could have happened. And this is the one that uh, we ended up finding some great opportunities for. Cool. Yeah. Actually, maybe walk us through that a little bit. Cause I think it'd be helpful to hear, right? So, you know, of the options that you have, you choose one and then you think through, all right, what do I need to do to get there? Which starts forcing the strategy and the prioritization, or maybe it's the other way around. Like walk us through a little bit of that. Like what, how did it start? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, and the, the one thing I would say that I uh, wish I did <laughs> is start earlier. So I spent uh, maybe a decade or so being like, I wish I want to start a business, but I don't know how to do it. Part of it, you know, I was active duty in the military, so um, I wasn't going to go off and do something that didn't work with that. <laughs> but that being said, I could have started. There was a number of businesses I could have started as an active duty officer that I could have run uh, on the side, you know, that, you know, would have all worked out. I would have learned a lot, you know, maybe it wouldn't be around still, but Hey, it could have been, that could have been my transition plan too. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, for me, it was, I, I was like, I don't know how to start. I don't know where to get the money. And that was, that was the part that I was like, where, where do you get the money <laughs> to start up? And I had some background in the super program, the small business innovation research uh, grants and contracts that you get from the government, which I think is a great program. Uh, I always thought that that's how I was going to start a business was find a topic that uh, likely fit in the AI cyber realm um, and, and then build a, a business out of that. Um, but what I did was I had the, I, I got to the point where I was like, I want to do this. And then I was like, I don't know how to do this. Let me just start talking to people. And then, so I just, you know, started talking and that's where the opportunity started opening up. I was just like, I'm trying to start a business. It's start, you know, it's roughly around this kind of thing. And I started to, people start introducing you to other people and, that's eventually how we ended up getting our, our first investment money um, and the Techstars Accelerator and all that. So was it around the problem you were trying to solve? So like, hey, we want to solve data loss prevention, right? Like I want to start a business and then you figure I want to do it around like say DLP, right? And then you get started. Is that sort of how it went or was, or you know, where did the problem you were trying to solve play into that whole 
Yeah. Uh, for me personally, it was, I want, I wish I, I want to start a business. Um, and the second part was, okay, what kind of business should I start? Yeah. What do and I want to so do? Looked at, looked at, like, what are, what is my skill sets and what, uh, what would be viable businesses based off these skill sets? Um, so that's why I was like, there's a number of government topics in the SIPR program that it could be a, applicable. So I was like, that could be one direction. Um, obviously in the, you know, venture back tech startup world, there's a lot of problems that need to be solved in the cyber realm. And after that, it really went down to, you know, we got a rough theme. <laughs> we have a rough funding source. Now let's make sure that whatever we're building is solving a real pain point for real customers. Love it. And casually, Joseph brings in a, a relevant question to the conversation. Uh, he wanted you to go a little bit deeper, if you would, Ian, on how did you identify the niche that you were getting into and developing the idea for both initially and while you're growing the business? Yeah. So, I mean, niching down is is super important. Um, I think we've all heard so many times that if you are selling to everybody, you're selling to nobody. <laughs> um, so for us, the big piece of it was customer discovery. And actually, this is a part where I like to you know, bring in some of the PhD research uh, approach to it all is that you want to go talk to potential customers uh, from a research standpoint in terms of like, you don't want to go in guns blazing with the sale. You know, you want to understand what are, what are their actual needs? And this is something that we've actively um, felt the difference of, of trying to force feed a sale versus somebody who actively has a need for what we're trying to say. It's like, it's night and day. One is like meetings, 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 demos, like pushing. And one is like, I'm ready to buy right now. And you're like, uh, don't you need demos or something? They're like, I need this. Let me buy right now. And <laughs> so the more you can niche down, the the faster you get to that. And the only way to get to that is talking to people. <laughs> so um, I always like to say from a B2B standpoint, you know, talk to at least 10 people that are within your um, customer profile. So, you know, if, if you're you know, let's say you're like, I think I want to sell to, um, you know, barber shops that are at least 15 employees or whatever, because I'm selling this, uh, you know, POS system uh, for barbers. Um, so like, that's your kind of your hypothesis. And then you want to go talk to owners of barber shops to see what are they using right now? What pain do they have with it, if any? And, and then once you've collected all that information, then you can look at your offering and say, is this offering a real solving a real problem for them or am i just trying to force something onto them um because and, and then never say that there's not that you're offering something that doesn't exist because there's always something so let's for cybersecurity especially you're gonna you're gonna talk to some people and you're like well they don't have cyber therefore i am i am the solution for them because they have no cyber and the reality is you're not trying to you're not selling cyber against cyber or cyber against you know, nothing in terms of them being like, I'm trying to buy your cyber. You're selling cyber against their current status quo. And that's probably one of the hardest things to sell against. So if you look at it and you're like, oh, there's so much market opportunity because none of these people have cyber solutions. That's actually not the case. Like what you're looking at is there's so much, nobody has cyber solutions. So I have to fight and educate people against the status quo because there's a reason why they're not purchasing cyber solutions because it's not like you're the only cyber solution provider out there. <laughs> Yeah, precisely. And it sounds like there's two pieces. There's what you're good at, right? And then there's the market. But what's interesting is, is and we talked about a little this with Ben last week, is there's the market that might be there, might be the vi viable market or most addressable market or whatever, but do they, are they actually going to buy what you're selling, right? And so there becomes this question of like, okay, yeah, I'm good at this. This might be my niche. There might be a market available for it. But then the question that you're addressing is, will they actually buy it? Right. So inside of the addressable market, like, can you actually compete in that space uh, for your particular product? So can you say a little bit more about that? Like, how did how did you start to discern that particular part of the market out from the solution you were providing? Yeah, I mean, it starts with what what exists. What are they using right now to solve that problem for that niche? And again, the answer is not nothing at all. Even if even if it's actually nothing, it's not nothing. It's Hey, because we, for example, we tried to sell into legal tech or the legal services space. Um, still think there's some great applicability there. People are always like legal services. This is perfect for them. But 
the reason it's so hard to sell at least data loss prevention to legal services, uh, even if they don't have data loss prevention tools or any kind of cybersecurity, it's a lot of them, the ones that we talk to that don't say that they've, fig you know, they've, they've established process, legal processes to cover their butts essentially. And they're like, because of that, if there's a data breach, we're all good. We don't need the cyber. And so you say, well, but the data is still breached. And they say, that's fine. According to us, uh, that's beyond the point. Um, so like, again, like from a cyber perspective, you're like, this is, this is insane. But from a sales perspective, how are you going to convince someone who's has, is never going to buy to buy until they get burned. Right. So, um, that's, you know, that, and for us, what we, what we did essentially was these customer discovery interviews, uh, for months. You know, we, we talked to a number and it's always, you know, talk again, focusing on what is their experience, their pain points, listen to them as much as possible and don't try to sell your solution to them. Um, always leave with, hey, by the way, this is what we do. <laughs> and usually they want to, you know, once you start asking those kind of questions, especially if it's something that they're interested, you know, at some point they go, OK, well, what do you what do you do? Because you're asking some questions that are addressing a lot of or that are in the zone of my pain points. So like, if you have a solution, I want to hear about it. Yeah, I, I'm so, I'm just like beside myself with them being like, oh, we got insurance for that. Or like, it, it, no, no problem. But I, I almost feel like you need to bring like phalanx magnets with you and just be like, put this on your fridge. And when you get breached, You'll, you know, like you can call us because you'll, you're going to want to talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, but that's, that's exactly what like marketing is. Right. <laughs> like, and that's applicable even down to like, if you're a, a mom and pop, you know, or just starting off managed service provider uh, going out in the world, you know, you're going to try to sell, let's say you're trying to sell cyber services that, that you want to manage, or let's say you're a pen tester, you know, you're going to hit a lot of people that are like, I'm good. <laughs> They're like, I'm good to go. Either I have something or I don't need it just yet. It's not the right timing. Um, but if you have, you know, magnet on their fridge or any kind of like something for them to refer, just like them remember that you exist when the need comes, then like that sales, like immediate. <laughs> mm -hmm. Perfect. I love it. So, um, you mentioned earlier, one of the earlier, uh, decision points you had to make was, you know, do I fund this? Do I VC? You had mentioned angel investors and such earlier, but you know, a lot of people in chat right now, including my good friend, Joe Hudson. Good to see you, Joe. <laughs> They, they want to ask themselves, um, you know, that question, right? Because they might be early on their entrepreneur journey. We saw Kim and Rhonda in chat talking about like basically wanting to start, wanting to start and still continuing to delay. So when they get to that point to make the decision to bootstrap or VC, you know, what kind of logic did you apply and what are your lessons learned from that experience? Yeah. I mean, it starts with what kind of business are you building? Because at the end of the day, there is a lot of consequences with depending on your funding source. Um, but there's no wrong answer. So like, I know a lot of people are afraid, you know, they hear their horror stories of VC. Um, that's not necessarily, you know, there, there's a lot of good VCs out there. Um, it's a great funding source, depending on what you're trying to do. So for example, let's say you want to build a cyber product then there's a lot of effort that goes into creating and building that product and that all during that time you're probably not making any money <laughs> so if that's the case you want to you want to remember that okay so like i have to there's a building phase and then there's a selling phase and how do i fund the building phase and maybe it's are you just building it on the side while you're working a job you know on the weekends um you know but the that's a good opportunity to take in some external uh, investment money because, you know, they'll, they'll say, Hey, I'm going to fund you to fund the thing. I'm going to fund the building of this and the selling of this. Um, but if you take an external investment money, you got to think about again, the, the consequences when it's VC, there, there's a certain type of math associated with that. Um, and they essentially, they need your exit for your company to be like very high. <laughs> so for example, if you were to sell for, uh, 2x of of what you you know what they've invested uh, for most people if you go into the stock market if you're you know, most investors if they doubled their money that's pretty good <laughs> like we're all pretty happy if you double your money <laughs> yeah uh, for a VC investor that's not enough because let's say they invest in 10 because they're, they're trying to invest in something that can explode essentially so 
uh, let's say they invest in 10 companies, six or seven of them, they expect to completely fail. Uh, one or two of them, they expect that one or, you know, 1.52 X or so. Um, and, but, and then, so you think about that from the math perspective, if seven companies have zero, <laughs> zero return, um, or negative, you know, negative hundred percent return, uh, two companies have doubled it. You're still looking at four, you know, you have four out of the 10 essentially. And at that point, that fund is losing money. <laughs> so they need one of those companies to at least, you know, they pretty much, when they think about investing, they're thinking what every single company I invest in needs the potential to fully return the fund. So that way that, you know, that's kind of how the math works. So, you know, when you're thinking about what are you building, um, a cyber product has a chance, like a cyber SaaS product can have the multiples where you can sell it for like, if that thing can sell that way, uh, a services company doesn't have that kind of multiple. So if you are, let's say a pen testing service, like you, you're probably looking at like a two, maybe three X on your exit because of all the labor involved. So if, if the max you can probably ever do is two to three X and let's say they invest a million dollars and you need to you know, you need to exit out at at least $10 million, then that means you're make you need to be making like five, five million in, in recurring revenue. Um, actually probably even at that point, cause you're a services company. Um, but on the flip side, if you're a cyber SaaS product, like $1 million will get you there. Uh, people will probably buy, you know, potentially can buy you out for 10, a 10 X multiple. So that's, that's another thing to think about is, is what are you trying to do? opens up opportunities. Um, if you're doing a services company, you're probably not getting VC. If you're doing a product company, like some of the other options might not be there as well, or like you'll have, you know, you, you have different options for what you're going to try to do. Um, and the last thing before <laughs> I'll mention is, is uh, the, you know, between angels and VC, uh, angel investors are investing their own money and they do it, uh, you know, kind of as, as they want to do it in a, individually, VCs are, they have people, invest into VCs to manage their funds to they so they are responsible back to their limited partners that have invested in those funds. So that's also why they have to operate in a certain way. Um, but because an angel investor is investing in just you, <laughs> or you know, just you and just this, just that, uh, a 2x return for an angel is actually also good. So um, if you only take angel investments to start this thing up, um, and you know, you, you have some sort of 2x return, 3x return, that potentially is a full success for everyone on board. Um, even though if you were to do that plus a VC, that VC would be like, this is a failure. <laughs> uh, but everyone else would be like, to include the founders, would be like, this is great. So that's another good thing to think about as you're looking for funding sources. Oh my God. It's like, like, I, I, like just wind it back. I, I need like to wipe my brow, Ian. Like you just backed the dump truck up and dropped knowledge bombs on me. Uh, while I while I uh, gather myself, Ryan, do you have thoughts on Ian's uh, comments around bootstrapping versus VC? Oh, I love it! I love it because it, it helps it helps make the distinction. Because with those that are listening, like there's this: okay, do I go get money? What kind of money do I need? Or can I bootstrap it right, build it moonlight or whatever to get to a point where then it makes sense to make that decision? And I think you laid it out quite nicely in terms of look if you, from the development space, right? Developing a product takes time and money, right? Right off the bat. And we don't always have that capital available. So there are sources of, it sounds like you've, there's three sources you actually identified, which I thought were quite nice. One is the government backed money, sort of the, uh, you know, the, the, the funds that are out there that don't have a huge rate of return required because the government might be backing them in terms of initiatives. There's VC side, which you laid out quite nicely, and there's angel investors. Um, the interesting thing there is one of the things that I thought I th was wildly interesting. We don't always talk about is yeah, VCs are typically you know covering a portfolio. Not all the companies they're investing in are expected to do well. So my question there would be, how do you make sure you know if you go to the VC route, how do you go? How do you make sure you're not one of the seven <laughs> that fail in the portfolio, right? Yeah, I mean, there's so there's actually a couple different comments on that there because uh, one thing I didn't mention is the you know depending on the funding source, there's a time associated with that. So when you bootstrap, you have the most flexibility because you have the least amount of uh, people to report to essentially um, because it's your own money, like you are funding you, and therefore the return rate of return is 
what are you what do you want for your rate of return um but when it becomes when you angel investors uh vc like vcs are on a schedule um so they ideally you're returning that money you know in, in like less than 10 years 10 years um so that that is something because you can't go low and slow with vc money um and then that goes into your question is that um and this this has actually kind of changed over the last couple of years as well in terms of what people will say that they're interested in um because generally it's been poor all that money on growth regardless of profitability uh because we need that thing to go up um in the last couple of years has been kind of two camps one being like actually we care about profitability and then the other camp being like actually no because that's kind of defeats the purpose hmm. um so it's hard to say it really depends on the fund that you're working with and the vcs that you're specifically uh pitching and working with um because sometimes they want like they want you to fail fast essentially <laughs> they want you they, they're, they're like take this money go as fast as you can with this money and figure out whether it's worth something or not. Like, I don't want, I don't want a zombie company on my portfolio. Like either, yeah. either go well or, or fail. That's fine. Other ones are going to be like, I rather you survive and give me my money back kind of thing or two X return or one X return than fail. Even if it means you're not going to be the, our star portfolio company. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it really depends on, you know, again, who you're working with, you know, they always say like, um, it's almost like a marriage. Like you think about uh, when you take in that money from investors, you're working with them for a very long time. Uh, and you're, you know, depending on what what the style of it all is, you're probably <laughs> you, your responsibility to be reportable to them. And at the end of the day, you know, that's an important thing to consider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost, you, you kind of laid out nicely where it's almost just as much as the problem you're solving for with, with your service or your product. On the flip side, from the cash side, there's this, what are they actually buying? Are they buying growth? Are they buying people? Are they buying services? Like, what are they actually paying for? Um, right. right? Yeah. So there's there's two sides of that same coin, it sounds like. Yeah, 100%. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it's not a charity. Right. <laughs> they're not just, they're, they're not like, right. oh, you know, even like, so, you know, as a veteran, like, even the veterans focus funds. It isn't a veterans charity for business building. It's, hey, we're a VC fund looking to get our returns. And our thesis is that veterans produce a certain amount of, uh, or IC based community, you know, produce a certain amount of, of quality company and yada, yada, because of their expertise, whatever, um, mm -hmm. expecting the exact same, you know, VC style returns. So um, that's, that is something to consider is no one's out there just donating money to your business. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, it's, you know, it might be just the business of lending money, but it is a business for profit. Um, right. And, and those expectations are, are definitely set there. All right. So this is, we should have called this the money episode, but we're going to, we're going to navigate the boat into the time Harbor here right after the break. We got some, uh, quick words from our exclusive sponsor, ACI learning, the official learning platform for the cyber starters program. You chose a career in cybersecurity and you follow this podcast because you're passionate about being at the top of your field. But let's face it, not all training is created equal. Don't settle for boring training that leaves you uninspired. You deserve the best to support your dreams. At ACI Learning, our instructors are legends in the field. Our studios are state of the art. We're always on so that you can be too. We're equipped to pivot and cover every emerging trend in cybersecurity. Because in this fast-paced industry, you need training that keeps up. But it's not just about the expertise. Our on-demand video training is designed to be actually fun to watch. We believe learning should be exciting, not a chore. We offer training in every major vendor and certification. ACI Learning is on it, so you can be too. And don't just take our word for it. See what others are saying on Trustpilot. Real reviews from real professionals who have experienced our offerings firsthand. Choose ACI Learning, because support for your cybersecurity career deserves nothing but the best. All right. Thanks again to ACI Learning for sponsoring CyberStarters. Uh, we're talking with Ian Garrett, founder and CEO at Phalanx, about cyber entrepreneurship, and we're talking about time. So, Ian, with the focus of time, what, what's the reality of building a cyber business is it, is you got all the time in the world, you got, you know, and I know we talked a little bit about the intro, but let's, let's unpack it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, starting with what, why, <laughs> why are you starting a business? Some people it's the money. 
Um, well, for one, if you're if you're starting a business, remember it's it's money is an important part of it. <laughs> Again, it's not a charity. Um, but uh, you know, some people's about the time, like time flexibility. They you know they hey, I want to have the ability to do whatever I want during the day and service customers uh, on my time. I don't want to you know some people's like I don't want a boss or whatever. Um, so understanding that to start makes a big difference on how does your day actually look. So, you know, for us as a cyber startup, our days look very similar to if we were just working, you know, a corporate job in terms of um, we have a lot of structure in our schedules. You know, we, we there's a team, you know, there's a, all of us as a team. Uh, we know when we're working, um, obviously, as a startup and entrepreneur and the founders, especially uh, sometimes the the hours bleed over <laughs> before and after. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still structured in a very similar style as you would see in a corporate setting. Um, but if we were, uh, you know, more of a services, small business, let's say, um, it very well could be, you know, a, a, a little bit more atypical of a, of a schedule. Yeah. One of the things we, sorry, Jay, one of the things we talked about earlier, which was interesting, which people might, um, find re wildly relative is how much time you actually spend selling the business. Right. This is the you're out there trying to build the business. You're doing all the internals, right? State registrations and registering and different people getting your employment up, getting your HR, getting your benefits, all the things that you need to do for to actually start a business functionally. Right. Then there's the practice, right, of like actually practicing the trade, either it's, uh, you know, building out the DLP platform or providing the service. But then there's this piece where UT's died a little while ago um, before we jumped on the call, which is like how much time you spend selling in the early days, because typically there isn't like a sales team out there selling your new brand, your new product, your new way of hitting the market. So say a little bit about that in terms of, you know, the time management side of the house. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that uh, you always hear about entrepreneurs is that, oh, we got so many hats. Um, but one thing I think people don't realize as much is how much a the sales marketing arm, like the actual bringing in business component of that uh, is important to it, uh, especially as, you know, like cyber practitioners. Um, it's, there's a tendency to feel like, oh, well, I have all of this knowledge and skill that's very valuable. And because of that, uh, you know, I should be able to successfully do that. You know, the, the people I'm working for, they don't get it. Like they're just just business people. <laughs> so like, let me just go out on my own. But the reality is, you know, if you build it, you know, put up a, web, a nice a website and uh, go, you know, talk to some people in networking thing, like that's not going to build your business enough, right? Like you, you probably have some network, your initial customers will likely be um, word of mouth. But at the end of the day, you need some sort of functional mechanism to bring in more customers, uh, whatever that go to market looks like. But the reality is that that is how your business becomes a business. You actually doing the practitioning is like, uh, you know, we mentioned it earlier, the golden state, like if you do really, really well as an entrepreneur, uh, let's say if you started, you know, as a practitioner, if you do really, really well at what you're supposed to, you know, starting your business, you will actually never do <laughs> any practitioning ever again. Like, so I think a lot of people starting, like realize that that is, if you do really well at your job, you will never touch cyber practicing. Like that's that you you hire people to do do the the servicing of your business, and you do more and more on the business side of your business, which is you know maybe at some point you know at some point you can grow big enough you can actually hire the people to do the sales, uh, so you don't have to be on on the boots on ground on that per se. But you're going to be very very dialed in with those folks because that's what's going to keep things alive to keep. The practitioners going and that could be a really interesting distinction between starting your own business or being a full-time practitioner right right uh, and most people i mean the the reality is i, I talked to a lot of people that the reason their their why on why they want to start a business is because they feel like they're spending too much time in their jobs doing non-cybery things that they think the waste of like let's say oh, i'm doing training and this and that and all this dumb reporting and I think is a waste of my time. I should be doing like, I'm so good at cyber. I should just be cybering all day, every day and starting your own business, not only reduces the amount of time you can be out there cybering, it increases the amount of kind of, you know, kind of BS <laughs> at the end of the day, because that's, that's what create, that's what, you know, keeps the engine going. Um, so it could be that, you know, maybe it's, you're not actually looking to start your own business. You're looking for, you know, 
a, a role where you can really you know focus on cyber stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah, Which I, may be a startup, by the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, Joey, go ahead. No, it's good. I mean, it, it's you're busting so many myths, Ian. And I hope people in chat are really enjoying this conversation and understanding some of the lessons learned that Ian is dropping on us to, to avoid us having to work two years on our own business and then learn these things. For example, I thought the business owner, I thought that the guy that I work for had his feet kicked up and he was on a yacht in the harbor out there just collecting off my back. But, but as you just said, you basically are working like a nine to five, just you're doing something else. Another one that I hear all the time is, you know, I'm a practitioner, you know, they charge hundred dollars an hour for me and I get paid 50. This is ridiculous. Like I'll just go off and make hundred dollars an hour myself without any thought into marketing, sales, client engagement, client, you know, retention, you know, like all the things that like that person who's you know, probably taking a haircut at $50 an hour uh, is making. So I, I really appreciate some of the um, the realities that you're dropping. Um, to that point, though, Ian, I, there's this concept. Um, if I don't know if you've ever read um, The E-Myth. It's, it's like a popular entrepreneur book. But um, The E-Myth Revisited, as I read it, they, they, the guy who wrote it, it, he talks about working on the business, versus working in the business. And like, you can kind of become almost um, uh, constrained to working in the business. And to use an example, right? Like you, you open your own baking company because you're awesome at making apple pies, best apple pies ever. And you work from sun up to sundown baking pies and throwing them out. So you never have time to like work on what's your long-term strategy. And you know, like, are you going to open a second location or whatever? So under that premise, Ian, can you kind of talk about how much, I'm curious really, start off, how much time do you spend working in your business, like servicing clients, you know, all those things, e even going to meetings and, and, and selling versus working on your business, like uplifting, thinking about strategy, thinking about direction and stuff like that. I'd really love to know kind of like the percentages. And then if you could drill down into that. Yeah. So uh, the biggest thing actually goes into what you were mentioning on Hey, my hourly, you know, they're charging $200 an hour. I don't get to see a hundred of it. Um, you know, if you, if you are out there, let's say as a cyber consultant charging 200 an hour, um, at the end of the day, you have two decisions. <laughs> Your decision is I take in all that money for me and I can live off this $200 an hour. Uh, but then what you're doing at that point is you're only working in the business because a hundred percent of the money coming in is going into your bank account to then be used to live which means there's zero money to, which then means you have to do one, spend more time <laughs> to go do build your business or figure out, you know, take in less money and then use that money to go pay for things to build your business to save you time. So that's also another big key, you know, big eye opener for people as they realize, oh, like after I account for the benefits I no longer have because I'm self-employed, Plus uh, all this, you know, what it costs to do marketing and bookkeeping, blah, blah, blah. Like all these functions that I'm either not good at or uh, it's a liability if I'm doing it. Like, so accounting, for example, you know, if, you, if, you don't, if you're not, if you don't know what you're doing, don't just wing it. <laughs> That's not the move. Um, so you're probably going to pay, you're paying for that service. You're paying for that. You're paying for marketing. You're, you know, let's say you're not the best website designer, hoster, or whatever, like, or you don't have a you know server in your house that you're running your website out, you're paying for that, like infrastructure. And then all of a sudden that $200 an hour, you know, whittles down and then you realize, oh, I have after infrastructure costs, I have, let's say, you know, $100 an hour. Okay, like $100 an hour, that's still pretty looking pretty good. Oh, it turns out if I want to, you know, pay for someone to do some, uh, let's see, you know, SEO work or, you know, pay for some, uh, some people to do some sales stuff, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well now I got to pay them $50 an hour, you know, of those kind of resources to actually get more business. And then you realize, you know, that your take home is actually, you know, way down here. <laughs> you start at 200 and you're like, oh, I got actually $25 left for me. Um, you're actually turned, taking a loss. By, by <laughs> yeah, it turns out if I just stayed at my old job, I was making a lot more <laughs> because they, they figured out a, you know, more optimal way to do it. So, um, so with that being said, you know, going back to your original question of how much on versus in, uh, for us, the, you know, I, it's, I, I, it's hard to break it into a percentage because it depends on the week. <laughs> some weeks are heavy on the end. Some weeks are heavy on the on. Um, but the big thing for us is that I have two other co-founders. So, you know, if it was just me, then it, working on the business would be so difficult 
because you know at the end of the day it, it would it'd be so much in <laughs> um but with multiple co-founders then we can we can spread it out and then it also allows me to do more of the you know business building component as a ceo because i have other co-founders that are you know doing some more of the in work let's say but that's fine somebody needs to work in the business um and that allows me you know more freedom to then when i bring them on for let's say we're having strategy meetings you know, I, I can queue it up in a way that I can maximize the amount of time that's extracting that founder, you know, founder to founder knowledge um, without them having to get up to speed and spending time on that. So, you know, again, another kind of time optimization type thing. I love, yeah, I love it. I, and I, it's funny, I, I think another kind of eye opener is like, it depends on the week working on the business for versus working in the business. You know, I, I myself, uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously you're, you're bigger stakes. You've got co-founders and stuff. You're, you're a different animal. S same with Ryan. Ryan's business is a different animal too, but I find myself breaking my life up into quarters like this quarter i'm going to go really hard on product and and you know maintain keep the lights on and you know touch the button that has to be touched every 90 minutes but and then next quarter i'm i'm gonna like you know up uplift production and do a brand identity lift and digital you know like all that stuff so i don't know if that's just simple-minded and uh me trying to like reconcile it in my head my simple head because i don't have a, a business degree but that's how I've done it. I, I don't know if 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 uh, you have any thoughts on that, uh, Ian, relative yeah. to that approach. I mean, that's it's uh, pretty spot on in terms of uh, even how things accidentally shook out. So we found that uh, for us, at least, a lot of what we can time-wise afford to do is based off of sales cycles. Um, and then so throughout the year, you know, year this is we're in our in our fourth year, just completed our third year. <laughs> um, we have enough cycles now that we can kind of see the when sales ebb, ebb and flows. Uh, so there's certain times that you know we've we're able to sell a lot, which means we're doing a lot of onboardings, which means you know we're, there's a lot of in the business kind of work. Um, and then you know towards the end of the year, big holiday season, pretty much like everyone's gone <laughs> usage drops down sales everyone's like hey i'll catch you in the next year um so you know q1 expects a lot of sales activity but q4 expects things to be you know a little slower which then i we use that time to essentially pile on strategy meeting for us so that we can you know do uh as much upfront for the next year as possible um obviously you know we need plenty of check-ins throughout the year nothing stays the same um but you know at the end of the day we don't we're not starting from scratch and we're not starting without a map um so you know exactly how you said and actually speaking of quarters i actually like to split my days into quarters <laughs> um, oh, okay. i like that <laughs> yeah into as much as possible for a couple different reasons uh one is you know i'm able to have time that either i can focus in on so, sometimes it's like i need some heads down work so, so i try to squeeze all my meetings into you know a quarter or two um but also it actually helps for burnout and emotion emotional stability wise uh if you think about it that way because a lot of times uh let's say something bad happens right like uh something you know you, you, you slipped on a banana peel and you landed in a puddle <laughs> like in the morning spilled your coffee like that's a bad you know if, if that's if you're thinking about it at a day at a time that's a that's just a bad day <laughs> like i just had a bad day uh but if you think about it in quarters then that Hey, Q1 of today was a bad day, but you know what? I'm in Q2 now and my lunch is really good. This is Q2 is really good. I can spend most of my day having a good day today because I only had a bad Q1. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that. That's like such a, a, a way to fail fast, uh, yeah. essentially to use that term. Ryan, Ryan, how do you break your time up? I'm curious. Uh, again, all three of us are entrepreneurs and different types of businesses and sizes. So it's interesting to kind of get a consensus here. Yeah, I do it in thirds, but I think it's all what's important is to identify what's important to you based on your strategy. Like mine's in thirds in terms of like pipeline people infrastructure, right? But I'm running a service business. So that's how, that's sort of how it works, right? So those are the three categories that work well for me. But from a, you know, from a SaaS product standpoint, it might be different, right? It might be heads down technical work, outreach, you know, for number two, number three might be, you know, uh, even further outreach, right? Like the really long balls you're trying to do from a selling standpoint. But the key is, I think, and, and Ian, what I'd love to hear from you is, how do you avoid burnout? Because we can spend a lot of time on things that we're either just not good at or don't like to do. If you spend a lot of time there, you're just going to wind up wiping yourself out. So I'd love to hear sort of how you avoid burnout for you and, and your co-founders and your team. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it really goes into how, what causes your burnout. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, when they think of burnout, they think it's, I'm working too much. Um, as an entrepreneur, you're just going to be working a lot. Um, but I don't actually think that's where the burnout comes from because for example, uh, on the days and times that things are just exploding because of activity, good activity for us, like all we're chart, we're hyped, we're charged. Uh, we can go on for a long time because if, if we're suffering from success, we actually don't find that we're burned out. We're just like, this is like, we're, we're hyped. Um, the parts that actually cause the burnout is when things are not happening. <laughs> um, or when you're in that more of a, you know, kind of researchy finding product market fit, like under like the point where time in doesn't equal, uh, results out. Um, again, going back into PhD research, very similar as <laughs> in the same sense of you're going to spend a lot of hours on the input and that's not going to equal your outputs, which is very different from working a, you know, more of a standard job where, uh, you, they hired you for a job and you doing that job is I do the thing and things happen and, you know, I get paid for that in, in entrepreneurship is you do a ton of things. Um, some of it is just, you know, stuff that you have to do for the business. Let's say again, going kind of the, more the operational, like, oh, I need to you know, set up accounting or whatever, uh, that you don't really see any good results from, I mean, ideally it's like, that's just is what it is. <laughs> so that's not exciting results. Um, and then for customer outreach, you're going to do, especially if that's not what you love doing, you're going to spend a lot of time on that. You're going to get a lot of just rejections and no's, and you're not going to fully like what you're doing doesn't quite hundred percent map because you're going to do this five times, more like a hundred times. One person's going to say yes, 90, 99 people are going to say no. And then you got to sit there and be like, well, it worked once. Why, <laughs> why did it work the one time? What did, what did I do different? If something obviously tons of variables, um, so, I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's, that's what I think causes the burnout is, is no, is doing things that you're not seeing the results in doing things that you don't like doing and then feeling discouraged. Um, so <laughs> to combat burnout, uh, I think it's, it's a couple different things. One is understand that, you know, when successful work doesn't bring burnout. Uh, so don't, don't blame your burnout on, oh, because I work too hard blame your burnout on I'm being discouraged. And then when you, when you restructure your perspectives and you realize I'm feeling discouraged because it feels like I'm spinning my tires because of all these inputs equals this many outputs right now. Um, and then if that's the case, then realize maybe you just need a couple of small wins to feel better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, so that's where, you know, break it, break things down. Like, Hey, my, my days, First third kind of sucked because I did all this outreach and it went nowhere. But you know what? I just someone just paid an invoice in the second half of my day, and that actually is great. <laughs> like business is happening, or I just got a really you know five star review on my Google business profile uh, because a customer really loved what we're doing. Like that's you know that feels good, right? So it, I would say to avoid burnout, look to fill those times of despair with little things you can do that do have a, like a one-to-one -one input to output and then savor those moments. <laughs> like feel good about doing those works that you can just do. And then also every little success, just record them so that when you're feeling bad and you're feeling you're spinning your wheels, you can look back on your charts of success and realize that you, you probably have come a lot farther than you feel like you have. You know, you, you there's ton, even hey, incorporating a business or starting your LLC, like that's, that's a big deal. So like, remember that's, that's an important talking to one customer. That's important. Closing a customer. That's huge. Like, so there's a lot of things that you've done that are important. Just remember, remember them and write them down so that when you're feeling bad, you have somewhere to go. And then also have, again, little things that you can do to feel like you're actually getting work done. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's, uh, it's so easy, uh, human nature. It's just so easy to kind of overlook the wins as like, oh, that's normal. That's what's supposed to happen. And then the, the, the challenges, the losses, the stressors, whatever, like it's quick to point that out and be like, ah, like that, that's the problem. So, uh, I, I definitely appreciate your, uh, insights into, um, championing those wins and having perspective I, and just, just, just to share one, cause I feel so passionate about it, you know, because this is the time episode, one of the things that for me personally, cause I deal with a lot of stuff and, and struggle with burnout from time to time is, uh, 
a little bit of meditation, but like my uncle, who's like a clinical guy, medical, clinical, mental health guy, he's like, you just take five. If you're so busy, Jerry, take five minutes and just turn off everything and just chill, just sit for five minutes. And, and he's like, and I'm like, well, I don't know if I really got five minutes. He's like, you don't have five minutes, Jerry. You don't have five minutes. He says, if you don't have five minutes, you got to find 10 minutes because you got a problem, bro. So from time to time, and it's, it's amazing how five simple, short minutes can feel like a lifetime and how it kind of frees you up and gives you that perspective. But final, final, uh, final thoughts on, on that. And then I want to talk about a couple other things, Ian, if you got it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you're feeling super burned out, just like find five minutes and go step outside <laughs> and take some breath, uh, take a breath of fresh air. Cause, uh, get some sunlight, <laughs> like that thing that a day, um, and disconnect because I think a lot of us also tend to um, use our downtime with more. <laughs> I always say like the the day is moving from screens, different screens to big screens to eventually a smaller screen. Because like actually some of one of the and I'm trying to do this less, but it's like going as a as a bedtime um, transition. It's like going from TV big screen to or like computer bigger screen to phone smaller screen finally to smartwatch smaller screen and then go to bed and it's like that's you know you don't you don't want to live your life screen to screen all the time so uh but i you know it's like let's say you have little like you're watching little youtube videos or instagram reels or something uh entertainment but at the end of the day you know your brain's still cranking through and sometimes it's nice to just don't do don't do anything don't touch a screen don't read an email just you know if you're having lunch just just have the lunch <laughs> Don't, don't look at a thing and it's hard you know the, the more the more you're habitually ingesting information especially an entrepreneur you're habitually looking at your emails and like thousands of emails but you know the more you can just take a quick break um at least once a day right like and it shouldn't be that hard because you know you should be eating food you should be using the restroom you know you should be doing all these things like yeah factor in one of those times to just do nothing for one minute, try what, like 60 seconds, put a timer in. I think a lot of people find that that 60 seconds of not looking at digital media is actually a lot harder than it should be. And then build your tolerance up from there. <laughs> I love it. And to translate for Gen Z, uh, he, Ian is saying touch grass. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so this is uh, Ian Garrett. Really quick, Ian, I just want to share this with people. This is your business, Phalanx. If you'd like to learn a little bit about uh, Ian's business and Ian himself, phalanx.io. Uh, anything to, to kind of share about uh, the website when people go there, Ian, if they'd like to learn a little bit? Yeah, so uh, we're actually about to <laughs> do a shift in our messaging on the website. Uh, so we are we uh, are data loss prevention, but not in a scary way. So mostly, usually it's like rules based. It's this monolith thing. Uh, we are we break everything down into into small teams and individuals. So everything is very quick to deploy in less than an hour. Very easy to deal with. And most importantly, we're about to switch all this messaging to be focused towards managed service providers um, because we're one of the few solutions that can offer that DLP capability in a way that doesn't take a million hours for uh, managed service providers to provide to their customers. Again, going back to time, part of their services business is is how much time per customer. And if they're t doing what usually like Microsoft DLP is, it doesn't work for the business model. So we wanted to provide something that they can actually offer to their customers that doesn't take time from, away from them so that they can spend time doing other things. And that'll right. be reflected on the website soon. <laughs> That's Phalanx phalanx.io and uh one other pet project i think this is so cool and so relevant to our audience uh what are we looking at here ian yeah so uh, <laughs> side 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 project um and part of it again so one of my biggest barriers to entry for me was i didn't even know how to start and i didn't have any network to start um so what i'm what i've been putting together essentially is just uh lessons learned and uh you know a, a website to help people just get off the ground, step one, moving from that zero to one. Um, so you, on here, you'll figure out, you know, or you'll see just how, how do I go about, you know, how do initial sales for, you know, I, I do it from a B2B perspective just because, you know, that's my experience. Um, would love to get any insights from people from, from B2B sense uh, to, to add into it. But, you know, I have links to you know, the kind of software we use for incorporating the, the business, uh, stuff that doesn't break the bank, you know, different tools, different tech stacks, different you know guides and at the end of the day it's it is all 
um, an evolving project. So I'd, I would love as much feedback and uh, questions. So like if people have the topics that they want to hear about, tell me so that I can write about it. <laughs> um, because at the end of the day, it's it's hard to move it out of your brain onto a uh, in, onto some sort of medium. But in the entrepreneurial sense, um, just ship it. And, and worst case is that people tell me I'm, I'm dumb and then I can. <laughs> I love it. So that's crowdfuel.co. As Ian put it to me, if you want to do a tech startup, crowdfuel.co will take you from step zero to step one, right? That's basically the, the gist of it. Awesome. All right, everybody, go check out Ian's uh, business, phalanx.io, and his side, 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 side project, crowdfuel.co. Ian Garrett, thank you so much for sharing all your insights and knowledge. And I, again, this is the time episode. I know how valuable your time is. Thank you for giving us, Ryan, myself, and all of chat uh, your time today. Genuinely appreciate it. Yeah, really appreciate having me on. Absolutely. All right, let's thank go, you. Ryan. Let's do our key takeaways, okay? Let's do it. Thanks, Ian. All right. Hey, Ryan, that was super sick, dude. Like, uh, like there's a million other questions I, I want to have for Ian. I might, I might like hoard him and uh, get him on a call and ask him a million questions. What were your key takeaways today? Yeah. As a hundred percent with you on that one, especially with the time episode, right? <laughs> you want to go down all these rabbit holes, but you only have so much time. Uh, so in that, I thought one of the things he, he teased out, which is we don't always talk about, but it's really important is that just saying no to a lot of things, right? Right off bat. Cause you don't think about it when you're starting a business, you're really hungry, right? You're looking for almost any angle you can get to do whatever it is your business is doing, right? If you're selling a service or if you're trying to build a product, you're trying to recruit people, you're trying to get it. You're, you're saying you want to say yes a lot because yes, feels good. And we're moving the, the ball forward. But it was a really interesting point of view about like, yeah, there's a lot of no you're saying. And because all of those things that you see yes to have a maintenance tail. So if they don't line up with your strategy and where you're trying to get to, they can actually, even though you're being nice or wanting to, you know, wanting to bring it into your portfolio or whatever it is you're doing, you have to now manage it, what you say, what you say yes to. So I thought it was a really interesting point to very specifically sort of, you know, start with the no in mind. He didn't say it that way, but it was, you know, kind of way I took away. It was like, yeah, start with maybe it's a no and have to prove it's a yes. Um, because in, inside of that, like the two other big takeaways I got that support that is like one, the challenge is your business has these needs that are different than the practitioner needs and understanding that right off the bat, I think is really helpful for folks to sort of, you know, think that through a little bit because there's this bucket of time that's going to be spent building the business. And there's a whole different bucket of time that's going to be spent doing the business. So I love the way you tease that out too, of like do versus, you know, in versus uh, out, I think it's the way you put it, you know, like sales or building the business or, you know, building the practice versus per, per doing your cyber skills. And the last one, I think it's really important because we hit this all the time is avoiding burnout. And, you know, I thought what was really clever, what EMT is out there is like, number one, recognize it, right? A lot of times, especially entrepreneurs, we just keep going. <laughs> yeah. We might be burned out. We just keep pressing and just taking a second to step back and be like, Hey, you might be burning out here is sort of, you know, the acknowledgement piece that I don't think we talk about all the time, which might be helpful for the folks to think about. And then of course, celebrate wins to kind of get you reoriented to, yeah, you're actually being successful in certain areas, you know, and then focus on what really matters. So those are kind of my top key takeaways, a lot of rich content, but that was, those are the three things that kind of stuck out for me. How about you? Yeah. I mean, there was a million things. I'm going to have to have chat GPD go through it and make a bullet list of key key findings. Uh, two things uh, that I took away. Again, I'm always looking at this through two lenses. One's for my own business and entrepreneurship because I can basically stand on the shoulders of giants. Ian's made a lot of progress already that I can uh, you know, yell up ahead in the uh, of the trail and get him to tell me what to do. But two things that jumped out to me. One was um, it, it really does bust the myth of fighting the status quo for sales. Like most people think, oh, I start a business. I'm competing. Like I have a business, same business as Ryan. So I'm competing with Ryan. And as Ian pointed out, you're not, you're actually competing with businesses making investments into cybersecurity. You're not competing against other cyber businesses. You're competing against like, um, like a business initiative that has nothing to do with technology potentially like, Oh, we're thinking about, uh, increasing like the number of conveyor belts we have in the Toledo plant. And that's a hundred thousand dollars. And you're like, our product's a hundred grand. And they're like, well, can you produce more product on our conveyor belt? And like, no, 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 we're DLP solution. They're like, I think we're done here. And you're like, ah, 
like, so I, I think that's really eye-opening to think that it really is, I don't want to call it socially engineering, but you have to find the levers that apply to the individuals who control the purse strings to be able to help them understand the value proposition that you're bringing. You're not trying to like, you know, hypnotize them and have them write a check to you. You want to deliver value, but getting them to understand it. I, I'll tell you what, GRC people might be the best at uh, sales because we speak to the business, right? We're not like, get out of here, nerd. Um, and the other thing that he said real quick, when don't wing it, okay? Accounting, law, contracts, don't wing it. That's probably a best practice. Like, mm -hmm. don't pretend you know what you're doing. Get an LLC correctly. Get QuickBooks. Get whatever you got to get. But certainly don't try to, uh, you know, get a journal and keep your own uh, your record keeping. Because when it comes time for the tax man, they don't make mistakes, right? They're going to come after you, and you don't want to you don't want to learn that lesson the hard way. So those are my two key takeaways, mm -hmm. Ryan. Yeah. Talk about avoiding burnout. Yeah. Don't do things like accounting. If you don't know it or don't like it, leave it to the professionals because you will burn out fast. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. That's a good yeah. point. I love it. All right. Well, Great. that's going to do it for today's episode of Cyberstarters. I want to thank our guest, Ian Garrett, again. Um, also, all of you in chat who came with really, really supportive comments. Great conversation. Wonderful questions. A lot of value here. We definitely enjoyed it. Uh, join us next week where our, our guest is going to be Grace Chi, uh, founder of Pulse Dive. Many of you know that um, that solution, threat intelligence. Uh, Grace is going to be dropping knowledge bombs on us. I can't wait. It's going to be super fun. Uh, on behalf of myself and my co-host, Ryan Lirvik, CEO of Nuvik, just so everyone knows, this guy's uh, a boss himself. Uh, we want to thank all of you. And until next time, stay secure. Be well, everybody. Thanks, everybody. If you got value from that amazing interview, be sure to check the entire back catalog of Cyberstarters interviews for more tips on launching and the effective business operations for cybersecurity entrepreneurs. You won't want to miss our next episode, I guarantee it. Join the Simply Cyber Discord server at simplycyber.io slash discord to chat with the larger community and be made aware when we go live. We want all your questions answered. Until next time, I'm Jerry for Cyberstarters. Stay secure.